I'm Pam. I'm Dawn. I'm Deidre. I'm Dina. Welcome, Welcome to Ozark's Paints and Hooch. This ain't no fancy academic check your references kind of deal. This is four girls from the Ozarks sipping and spewing about paints, hooch, and history. Hey everybody, this is Dawn and I'm inserting a little special disclaimer. We had several serious but hysterical technical difficulties in this episode, so we're renaming it the Snoring Sun slash Heavy Breather episode. We're sorry. Well, hello everyone. This is Dina, and we would like to welcome you to Ozark's Hates and Hooch. Woo! I'm not even sure. Yeah. Woo! I'm not Woo! even sure. I know we're on season two, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know what episode this is. <laughs> I think it's 10. 10. Ten? Yeah. All right. We're think on so. season two, episode 10. We would like to remind you that we were on all the websites, the Instagram, the Facebook, all that social media stuff. Our website um, is Ozarks Hanks in Hooch.weebly.com. My dog is just letting himself into my bedroom. So if you hear that, I'll just do that right now. We're going to apologize for any animals, husbands, children, cats, any noise that you may hear that is not our voice, because we are four women in three different states and what, four different um, internet companies, which let me just (laughs) say, I'm not even on an internet company because my internet is so awful, I'm having to use the hotspot on my phone. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, is also having some issues. Dawn's not in the same place that she usually is. So, so sorry. <laughs> I'm not drinking. That's the sad part. Oh, well, that's, maybe that's, that's good. why. Maybe we need <laughs> well, to fix a drink, Dawn. Yeah. We don't have to drink it. We could just set it on the table. <laughs> Look at it. It, it was pretty. Yeah. All it right. Pretty. Okay. So, our episodes drop on the 1st and the 15th. Uh, oh, so, so sorry. Just a moment. We're going to pause right there. So somebody put the dog in my room in the middle of me recording. Just a moment. Sorry about that. Okay. Back. Are you there still? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. God, I swear. Parker came home and put the dog in my room. All right. Tonight we have, or this evening, or this morning, or this afternoon, oh, whenever man. you're listening, <laughs> we have, let's see, Dida, Deidre, yes. middle sister, is doing the big story. God, I hope so. Dawn. Yeah. Dawn, big sister is doing the little story i'm obviously hosting and miss pam is going to give us our hooch so i'm just going to go ahead and let you do that 
Huzzah for the hooch. It's very pretty. Yes. Okay. Well, um, the, uh, the name of our cocktail is the butterfly cocktail. Now, I did, <laughs> and butterfly ties in, of course, with our big story. So, um, butterfly, uh, you go on that interweb and you find all kinds of variations on butterfly. So, there's the butterfly cocktail, there's the butterfly martini, there's the butterfly old-fashioned, there's the butterfly uh, fairy, and all of these uh, different variations on a butterfly cocktail. So, I gave my friends some choices, and uh, I will tell you what I made and what... <laughs> Uh, what uh, um, will be on uh, the website so you can uh, follow along or make these cocktails. Um, they're very, they're very tasty. The version that I made was the butterfly martini. And that requires two ounces of gin, one ounce of elderflower, a quarter ounce of creme de violette. I love, I love the pronunciation, of course. Mm. A quarter ounce of hibiscus rose syrup. Yummy. A quarter ounce of simple syrup. And the garnish is an edible orchid. Oh, yummy. Well, yeah. needless to say, because I was late, I didn't have no edible orchid. And I didn't have a couple of these things. So <laughs> what I made was, and you girls can, uh, can chime in on, on your variations. What I made was a very simple butterfly martini with two ounces of gin, one ounce of elderflower, and called it a day. So I will let uh, my friends tell you about their cocktails. Go ahead, uh, Dina, you, you tell us what you made. All right. I made a butterfly daiquiri and it is two ounces of white rum, one ounce of lime juice, three fourths of an ounce of simple syrup and four to five dashes of butterfly pea bitters. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Um, but I looked well. that up and butterfly <laughs> pea. It's not P-E-E -E, though. It's P-E-A. But it doesn't sound very good. Um, I looked it up and you can actually use anything citrusy, it said. So I, of course, use triple set because I have that. So it's, I also use Malibu rum. So it's coconut lime. I put the lime in the coconut. And anyway, it was good. Okay. About halfway through it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Deandra, well, did yeah, you make I wasn't mine? Able, uh, I wasn't able to make anything uh, tonight, but um, I'm living vicariously through the pictures that you have sent me because those are probably the prettiest cocktails we have ever uh, seen here at uh, Ozarks, Haints and Hooch, I think. <laughs> they were very pretty. And Dawn, you want to tell us what you're drinking? I'm drinking LaCroix because I'm in Virginia. <laughs> okay. And I've been at a touristy establishment all day. Well, we so, not Gatorade. That's what I'm drinking. Ah, <laughs> well, that's our cocktail that will be on the website. And now I'm going to throw you back to our host, Dina. All right. Thank you. We're going to get right back into our stories. Or not right back into. We're going to start our stories. Right. We're going to start that with uh, Deidre and her big one. So take it away. My big one. Um, is actually, it's not really paranormal. It's not really 
uh, like spooky paranormal, I guess, but um, it's sad, it's a little sad um, in a non-paranormal way. It, it um, has a great, oh, a good theme involving children who have had a traumatic experience. And I, I kind of think that it shows how, you know, kids as compared to adults might handle an intense, intense event like say an EF5 tornado. So on May 22nd of 2011, the Joplin tornado with the Joplin has a population of around 50,000 people, a, an EF5 on the enhanced Fujita tornado intensity scale caused 161 fatalities, more than a thousand injuries, and it made it the deadliest single tornado on record in the U.S. since official records were begun in 1950. Wow, I didn't know it's, that. Oh, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, it, hmm. it was a big deal. Um, it was very scary. And honestly, I will tell you that um, my husband, who has not usually been very um, concerned about tornadoes where we are, after that one hit in the, the what was February 2018 one in Branson hit, um, he's usually the first one out the door. So <laughs> anyway, oh. we take him kind of seriously now. And, and so what I want to tell you now is kind of a little bit of back, background about um, the tornado and the trek that it caused uh, damage and, and that kind of thing. And then I'm going to tell you about the butterfly people. Okay. So May 21 and six, uh, the Midwest experienced the largest tornado outbreak on record. Um, the following information is from a podcast called The Midnight Train. Um, I've also used stlouistoday.com, um, and there's another one in there that will be on our extras um, uh, for, uh, you know, my research purposes. So um, on May 21, a small system of thunderstorms developed in Brown County, Kansas. Another system formed to the southeast of Emporia, Kansas. Now, if you're not a local, you probably maybe don't know where these are, but I'm, I'm going with it anyway. So um, the Brown County system spawned a brief tornado over Topeka, Kansas, causing minor damage. This system also caused significant damage in Okaloosa, Kansas, and other communities. Meanwhile, the Emporia system spawned an EF3 tornado that struck Redding, Kansas. Redding, Kansas, or Redding, Kansas? I don't know. I don't, I don't usually I don't know. In Kansas, one person was killed, several others were injured, and at least 20 houses were destroyed. These two system, systems developed several other tornadoes throughout the evening. A moderate risk of severe weather was issued for much of the Midwest, as well as further south to Oklahoma. The first tornadic supercell developed in the mid-afternoon hours over the western Twin Cities in Minnesota and caused moderate damage in the Minneapolis area. Shortly thereafter, an intense tornado crept towards Harmony, Minnesota, prompting the National Weather Service to issue the first tornado emergency of the outbreak. Late uh, that afternoon, a large, intense EF5 multiple vortex tornado left catastrophic destruction in Joplin. And that's Missouri for those of you who don't know. So after the Joplin tornado, um, and you know, there would be several more throughout the next few days. Um, it, so in fact, actually the cell spawned about a, I think it was a total of 241 tornadoes. And out of those 241, only two reached the EF5 status. And of course, 
Joplin tornado was one, and uh, there was another one dubbed the El Reno, but we're not talking about that one. So we're going to go on here. Um, so initially, the tornado touched down just east of Missouri, of the Missouri state, nope, of the Missouri-Kansas state line at 5.34 p.m. and tracked due east, downing a few trees at an EF zero intensity. Eyewitnesses and storm chasers reported multiple vortices <laughs> rotating around the parent circulation in that area. Civil defense sirens sounded in Joplin 20 minutes before the tornado struck in response to a tornado warning issued by the National Weather Service at 5.17 p.m., but many Joplin residents didn't heed them. You know, I mean, we you don't think it's going to be you, right? So anyway, um, the tornado strengthened to EF1 intensity as it continued throughout um, rural areas towards Joplin. It was snapping trees and power poles and damaging outbuildings, widening the tornado, then tracked into the more densely populated southwest corner of the city near the Twin Hills Country Club. It heavily damaged several homes at a subdivision uh, in this area, and it was like at an EF1, EF2 strength. The tornado caused to sorry, the tornado continued to strengthen as it ripped through another subdivision. And then um, at the EF2, EF3 level, um, more homes were destroyed. Um, there were still multiple um, vortexes, I believe, at that location. Um, vehicles were tossed around, some of which were thrown onto or rolled into homes. And the now massive wedge tornado then produced its first area of EF4 as several uh, small but well-built commercial buildings were flattened. Numerous homes, businesses, and medical buildings were flattened in this area with concrete walls collapsing and crushing the foundations. A large steel reinforced step and floor structure leading to a completely destroyed medical building was deflected upward several inches and cracked. Steel trusses from some of the buildings were rolled up like paper and um, the twisting of main support beams was even seen and noted. Several 300 pound concrete parking stops anchored with rebar were torn from a parking lot and were thrown up to 60 yards away. Um, in, so the Iowa State University was also tracking uh, this tornado and there was an engineer who was able to calculate the force needed to remove the parking stops and found that winds exceeding 200 miles per hour were needed to tear them from the parking lot itself from the ground. Wow. Um, Ooh, yeah. that's, a, that's a big old storm. Sorry. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was bad. So um, the damage became remarkably widespread and catastrophic at and around the nearby St. John's Regional Medical Center. It lost many windows, interior walls, ceilings, and part of its roof. The life flight helicopter was blown away and destroyed. Five fatalities were caused by loss of backup power, and the nine-story building was so damaged that it was deemed structurally compromised and was later torn down. Oh. Yeah. According to the National Weather Service office in Springfield, Missouri, such extreme structural damage to such a large and well-built structure was likely indicative of winds at or exceeding again 200 miles per hour. Okay, so as the tornado tracked eastward, it maintained an EF5 strength. It damaged every business along that stretch and several institutional buildings were virtually destroyed as well. Entire neighborhoods were leveled 
and more homes were swept away and trees were stripped completely of bark. Numerous vehicles were tossed up to um, several blocks away from the residences where they originated and a few homeowners, homeowners never even located their vehicles, which is, I mean, crazy. But you would think at some point they would find a car, but so um, at the time, um, the, they were holding graduation, well, that day they were holding graduate graduation ceremonies at, um, in Joplin, um, and it was not at the high school. They had it um, off campus, like many schools around here do to, you know, make sure that everybody can come, I guess. Mm. So um, anyway, luckily, uh, the ceremonies had been, you know, concluded shortly before the storm. Um, pieces of cardboard were found embedded sideways into stucco walls um, that did remain standing at the Joplin High School. So, okay, the tornado then approached Range Line Road, which if you're familiar with Joplin, that's one of the main, well, it is the main commercial strip in the eastern part, and it, it affected additional neighborhoods as well. The now, now heavily rain-wrapped tornado continued at the EF5 intensity and continued producing catastrophic damage as it was at its widest point at, at this time, being nearly one mile wide. Let that sink in. One Ooh. mile wide. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. As the tornado hit the Pizza Hut, the store manager herded four employees and 15 customers into a walk-in freezer. Um, they had difficulty closing the door. The store manager wrapped a bungee cable um, uh, holding the door shut around his arm. And unfortunately, I mean, this is terrible, but he was sucked out and killed. Um, oh. As he, I mean, he was, you know, he saved all those other people, but unfortunately didn't make it. So um, the tornado completely destroyed the Walmart Center, a Home Depot, and numerous other businesses, um, restaurants, many of which were flattened. Um, there were three store, story apartment complexes um, that were devastated. And two cell phone towers were found collapsed onto the remains of uh, those apartments. Again, cars were thrown. A um, hundred pound manhole cover. Um, they were tossed up into the air and, you know, thrown like frisbees. Um, and then there was a Pepsi distribution plant that was completely leveled as well. So it continued east uh, where it began to weaken. Uh, still vehicles were blown off the highway. Um, and mangled around US Route 71. The damage at and around the interchange was rated EF2 to EF3, and the weakening tornado continued to track uh, rural areas where um, um, damage was generally more minor to moderate, you know, with trees and mobile homes and outbuildings and frame homes uh, damaged, even at the EF0 and EF1 strength. So finally, the tornado lifted in Diamond, Missouri at 6.12 p.m. Its total track length was at least 22 miles. So 5.34 to 6.12 was 38 minutes. And um, I did put a couple of pictures that we'll, you should be able to see on our website or the you know, extras um, of the damage, um, both from an aerial view and kind of from a ground view. And actually my husband and I, um, it was about a year, year and a half later, we um, we came back through that way. I can't remember where we were going, but even at a year later, um, there was still so much, I mean, devastation. They'd gotten, you know, everything picked up that they could, the streets and all that. But it was just, I mean, if you can imagine a lot where the 
Home Depot was flattened and the, you know, Walmart was flattened and um, mm-hmm. pretty intense. Awful. So from this, um, there were stories uh, that date, well, what I was going to say, first of all, is this story um, could be one of those that dates back to the days when there were no radios or televisions, you know, mobile devices, cell phones, whatever. Um, and originally, um, the telling spread from person to person, just as they would have long ago, you know, when we didn't have all those things. And of course, the stories changed with tellings and with time. But there were two main stories that basically um, didn't change much. Uh, and uh, these were heard in hospital rooms and donation lines. They were spread from neighbor to neighbor. Red Cross counselors heard about them. Pastors spread the information to their congregation, you know, and more. So the one of the first of the, the first of the two stories that um, really um, didn't change much is about a mother and daughter who got out of an SUV. Um, and uh, as the tornado got closer, um, they realized, or the mother realized, there really wasn't any uh, time to reach a nearby house or, or shelter. So um, they uh, hit the ground, the mother covering her daughter. And um, while they could have jumped into a culvert or just in, in closer to the uh, front yard, um, they just could, it just wasn't feasible in the amount of time. The mother was watching the SUV head straight for them. Um, she braced for the impact and then the tornado passes and somehow they aren't hurt. And um, the daughter, again, three or four says, weren't they pretty? And the mom is confused and most likely in shock and, and you know, inquired, well, what, what was pretty? What did you see, you know, as they were, I mean, I'm still thinking that they were all pretty much in shock, but she said, didn't you see the butterfly people? And then, in, um, of course, in some versions of this story, the daughter described seeing the butterfly people flying up into the sky. So the other story involves a father or grandfather and two young boys. They're also trapped outside during the tornado in most versions. And the winds are so strong that the soles of the father's shoes are ripped off, but no one is injured. Again, it's the young boys, usually described as three or four years old, who see the butterfly people above them offering protection. Many believe, though, you know, for the younger children who may not be aware of what an angel is, but, you know, how to process what is perceived to be an angel, the more religious folk felt that they were seeing angels and the younger children, not necessarily, you know, knowing what that was, well, they used the closest thing that they could apply. And that was a butterfly because butterflies have wings and these, these, you know, apparitions or, or whatever uh, looked like butterfly people had wings as well. So there was a local woman volunteering at a tornado shelter and she heard the story and shared it with her Sunday school class. An 11-year-old boy spoke up um, saying he saw the butterfly that night too. And then there was a 14-year-old girl um, and she was in an SUV that um, actually it was, I believe her family and her, they had just come from her brother's graduation and uh, the SUV, SUV was tossed around like a toy. However, none of the passengers were hurt except for the girl. And she had like a large chunk of debris lodged in her thigh Um, It caused weeks of recuperation, moving from wheelchair to walker to finally walking on her own. Well, about two months after the tornado, she was standing in her backyard. It was summer. 
and a monarch appeared and landed on her arm. All summer long, this kept, kept happening. Uh, butterflies would find her and would land on her. And there were times when she couldn't get them to leave her alone. She'd brush them off or whatever. And, and uh, eventually she also heard about the butterfly people. And she said that what she saw um, the butterflies as, that the actual like butterflies um, were her own personal angels, which I think is very sweet because when our dad passed away, um, we scattered some of his ashes and at Swan Creek, was, which was one of his favorite, sorry, emotion, <laughs> emotion trigger, um, <laughs> yeah. which um, was one of his favorite places. So I don't know I, if Don and Dean, I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but I, I do. You know, those little white, tiny, little white and slightly purple um, butterflies that we see at the creek all the time right yeah. yeah so um there were there were a little cluster of them sometimes there's a little cluster of them just flying around and one of them landed on my arm and i was thinking that it one of them landed on somebody else too um whether it was one of you guys or one of the kids or whatever but um i have always kind of felt that um butterflies have some significance and whenever one lands on me i always say hi dad so <laughs> that's kind of nice. my tie into that but anyway yeah. back to um the joplin tornado so as the stories continued uh they reached a clinical director at the joplin child trauma treatment center she uh, said that two other therapists had heard stories directly from children who said they saw butterfly people or visions of butterflies that helped to calm them and they even said some of them saw white lights that wasn't a, a popular theme through stories, but um, it, it did occur as a white light. So um, I'm, uh, I'm gonna tell you a few stories um, that happened to individual people, um, most of them involving children. And, uh, you know, open your mind because who knows. Um, so Clay and Melissa Morgan and their four children, along with Clay's mother, were at home when the tornado hit. Melissa, the mother, huddled in a central hallway with Zoe 12, Emma 8, Eli 5, and Luke 4, while the husband, Clay, held, held a mattress above them. They heard windows breaking, um, you know, the train sound, the house blew apart. They were thrown outside, um, riding the mattress like a water slide, Emma said, and everyone was quickly accounted for except for Eli, and Eli was five. He says they didn't find him because he was under a carpet for a few minutes. Well, what other people say, and his parents, is that he was found about 20 feet away, rolled inside a green carpet. They don't know where the rug came from, although it probably belonged to a neighbor. And then um, one night after the tornado, you know, I, as they were encouraged to talk about their experiences, Eli told his parents that he saw a man with brown hair when he was inside the, um, the carpet. Um, the story quickly spread and it was seized on by some as evidence of something divine. Um, his mom said Eli mentioned um, a detail about that detail about the man with the brown hair only once. Um, and she's afraid that it might've been actually their neighbor who lived next door, um, but that's not confirmed either. 
The next story, a young boy and his father were also in their vehicle. They were being tossed around in the wind when suddenly the father looked up to see another car flying toward them. The little boy was the one who saw two very big, and that's capitalized, big angels holding the other car back. Their car was never hit by the flying car, and the boy continued to say it was the big angels that held it back, the car that was headed toward them. A two-and-a-half-year-old little girl and her father were caught in the tornado in their vehicle. Afterwards, when she was encouraged to tell of her experiences, she said she and her dad and the butterfly people were in the car, and her dad interrupted her to say, no, it was just the two of us, but she insisted there were butterfly people in the car. Um, a deputy sheriff who immediately following the storm spotted a little four-year-old boy in an open field east of Joplin um, said that uh, as he, well, he ran to get them and, and found there wasn't a scratch on them. He, he asked uh, the little boy his name and where he lived, um, which was in West Joplin, um, out by the St. John's Hospital that took such a big hit. And the deputy asked how he got to the field and the boy replied, the angels brought me and set me down. Allegedly, the distance was more than six miles from where he was picked up. Wow. Yeah. Good grief. One woman arriving home with her children ran inside with great hurry. Together, they sheltered inside a small closet when the full force of the EF5 tornado ripped their home to shreds. Inside the fury of wind and hail, the family thought it was at the, at the end. They were sure that it was their time. Well, the winds were um, so fierce, even the daughter's glasses shattered as the roof was ripped off above them. Somebody else's, I don't know how the glasses could shatter, but it seems important to the story. I don't know. Then strangely, the sun saw something in the sky. A white woman with wings, she was hovering over them as if she was protecting them from harm. The son described what he saw as a butterfly woman who stayed and stayed and protected them from harm. Moreover, the rest of the family also saw the vision. And this is the first time or the, you know, major story, not major, but, you know, bigger story that an adult actually um, saw the butterfly people. Um, the tornado uh, passed by, the family were left unharmed, and the closest thing, um, I mean, in the closet was the closest thing left without damage. I guess I was reading closet and closest as the same word. So, sorry. The um, medical aid soon arrived and the search began for injured and trapped. And one nurse um, told the family, again, involving this, the family with the, uh, the closet, <laughs> um, you know, um, said that she described the nurse also saw the same vision that the family had seen. And she said that the butterfly woman was larger than the average human. And yes, it did have wings. She wasn't quite sure uh, to make it, what to make of it, but she said she didn't fear it. So it's really hard to conclude on this one. Um, who's to say these butterfly people weren't, you know, angels or apparitions, aliens, whatever? I, I we don't know. Um, I feel like some of the stories were uh, what do you what do you call them? Um, copycat stories, with most of them uh, leaning more toward a religious experience rather than a spirit spiritual, if that makes sense. So. Um, I didn't include the adult stories because I felt that it was really more relevant to the kids. And I felt like the adult stories were embellished, if you will. So um, of course, all of these may have been embellished. We, we just don't know. But anyway, um, I have always felt that butterflies were special and 
Um, I don't know if it started when Riley, you know, started calling them flutterbys, which we may have encouraged because it was adorable. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I thought it was an interesting um, read. And uh, I just wanted to mention too, that the mural that there was a mural done to help the city heal. Um, and it also ended up with a butterfly theme and it's gonna be in the extras as well. Um, and it kind of just an unusual experience by a lot of different people, which may or may not have happened. Um, they could have been, you know, in what, what do they call it? Uh, mass hysteria, it could have been that kind of thing. Um, we just don't know. And um, so I was gonna ask you guys if you had any similar um, butterfly experiences because that is the end of my story. <laughs> Well, I never heard about that. I mean, I heard about the Joplin tornado for sure, but I have never heard this butterfly stuff. I had not either. Yeah, neither. Mom was no. the one that said, look into it. And so I did. Huh. Me neither. I've never heard about this at all. And yes, uh, uh, you said this tornado was in 2011, in August of 2011. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe no. that's right. No, May. No. It was if it was May graduation, 20... it would have been May. It was May oh. 22nd, 2011. May 22nd. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Wow. Well, that was really good, Deidre. Like I had never good. heard of it and um, it was very interesting and you did a really good job because I would have cried through the whole story thing because oh, I, I get it super was... emotional. So I'm so proud of you for not doing that. <laughs> well, I, I didn't cry through the whole thing, but it's hard for me to talk about dad sometimes. Oh, yeah. 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 I get that. Like, I'll be fine and have conversations with people and somebody will ask me about dad or grandma and grandpa and then I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> so I understand emotional alert i must leave yeah well this pandemic no. i tell people i'm just teetering on the edge of tears always now you well, guys i am so sorry but listen just take a moment and listen you don't have to listen too hard i'm dying <sighs> what no, is that gonna do he it just quit jacob sounds like a freight trainer good oh my <laughs> god i that's why i've been mute this whole time okay so even on again because i yeah. also heard somebody yawn let me hear it again because he may sound like an ef3 tornado i'm not sure <laughs> well there was one going on he was sucking my entire body across the room <laughs> and now he's not gonna now he's not he's yeah, not i gonna. bet he does before so. you're done because you yeah. have the little story <laughs> i do <laughs> so let me just say i'm really sorry if you hear it's like a buzz saw in here is but he i don't want to wake room? him up no no don't wake him up don't no wake him he's up. on the couch and i'm on the dining room table so it's like a big room but um okay. anyway yeah Fun. so i don't know i've been dying over here i couldn't get emotional because i was laughing too hard so um are we ready sorry are we yes Go, go, dog. Yeah, go. number okay. two, little one, little one. So, uh, because I had, like I said, never heard of these butterfly people, and um, Deidre or mom or somebody called them angels. So, I, that's the search um, term that I put in. So, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but in Ava, Missouri, in 1940, 
the folks of Douglas County were visited by the angel of Ava. Anybody? Have you ever heard of that? Nope. Never no. Heard All right. No. Nope. Um, so the seemingly divine being was most surely mortal, but appeared to be from above when envelopes of money began arriving in local folks' mailboxes. <laughs> I'm okay, sorry. I, no, I did hear this. I have never heard this either. So according to an article in Time magazine, proof of the fame of the angel brought Ava the mysterious envelopes of money began arriving in the early 1940, no, in early 1940. The first gift's arrival month is a detail that varies with the source, the number of recipients, their occupations, and when they were received also seem to fluctuate from publication to publication. So as you're, you know, um, I did find several articles on this, but they're not very, um, they don't, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't say the same thing, I guess. Um, so in the case of Time Magazine, um, they say February was mentioned as the first month that the angel visited Ava. Other publications say January. Um, some say that they can that the envelopes contained cash, while others said they contained cashier's checks. But mysterious messages were often included, but never a name except a signature of quote your sunshine friend. So that's ominous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the amounts varied from person to person, but were frequently around $100, which was more like $1,800 today. Um, at the end of the Great Depression and in the middle of the rural Ozarks, such a sum might have provided several months of living expenses. However, the mysterious gifts provided more than money. They also brought Ava nationwide notoriety fueled by intrigue of who was sending the money and why. The Angel of Ava story spread like wildfire throughout the entire country, having been picked up by both magazines and newspapers everywhere, some of which sent feature writers to Ava to get the story firsthand, wrote J.E. Curry, publisher of the Douglas County Herald newspaper in 1957. However, the widespread publicity and passage of time didn't help the ultimate question who was the generous angel seemingly guarding several in the small Ozarks town. So this came from the Minneapolis star and I included it because really truly, I mean, it was like national news. So um, even though uh, we don't know where the gift came from, sources generally cite a Mrs. E.E. E. Lawson as the first beneficiary. She received $100 and a message that identified the giver as a, quote, old time friend. Um, she wrote, pleased but puzzled. <laughs> um, the bank, uh, she deposited at the Bank of Union, Missouri. No, she, no, that's the bank on which the check was drawn, the Bank of Union, Missouri. Um, and she wrote the bank to see whether they knew who sent it. This came from Time Magazine. Their description of the man who had brought the check fitted no one Mrs. Lawson knew. The name he used to buy the check, so it must've been a cashier's check, didn't help either. The name he had given the bank, Lawson noted. Um, what? 
the name he had given the bank, Lawson, was also Lawson. That was the name he gave the bank, which is hers. Lawson right. didn't say much about her gift when she received it, thinking it was a random one-time surprise, and she'd soon find out who her friend was, except she never found out. And then it happened again. In February, three local men received money on the same day. Two found $100 each in their envelopes, while the third got $150. <laughs> the gifts were unexpected and unbelievable and got the entire town talking. Um, they talked about it and the news spread over town that somebody was sending unexplained checks to retired businessmen of Ava, noted Everyday Magazine, a publication of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in July of 1940. People began to take notice, particularly retired businessmen. The gifts also illustrate that junk mail isn't a new concept proven by the $150 received by former merchant Luther Story. And this is from um, this Post-Dispatch article. Mr. Story did not have his glasses on when the letter came, thought at first the check was an advertising coupon and started to throw it away. Um, with such things going on, the retired businessmen of Ava took to examining their mail with more care than had been their want, <laughs> said the magazine. <laughs> Open that money's in there. They did not want anything to happen to them like almost happened to Luther's story. As time passed, gifts kept appearing in local mailboxes and attracted a new clientele to the post office. A large proportion of Ava's population is descended from the old pioneers, some of whom have never received a letter in their lives, wrote William <laughs> Draper, a reporter who came to town and wrote about the angel. These old timers and hundreds of others are now making daily trips by buggy, hitchhike, or afoot to stand in the daily line at the little post office and wait hopefully for a mysterious gift. <laughs> One of the recipients was Mrs. Grace Singleton, a widow who believed her $100 came from someone who owed an old debt to her late storekeeper husband. She used the money to pay off the note on her farm. Brush Judd, a retired grocery store owner, also found $100 in his envelope. He didn't need the money and instead bought groceries for a needy family of four. He said, I followed the instructions which came with the check, make somebody else happy. And I sure do feel a lot better, he told her. That's sweet. Aww. Elmer Christian, a farmer who sold funeral and tornado insurance on the side, received a $20 bill. <laughs> I guess whoever it was thought he, um, Mrs. Henry S. Wilson, yeah. Uh, a widow living in a 15-room home felt her gift of $50 was truly divine intervention. She said, do you know, this is actually an answer to my prayers. I've been trying to run this old place and make both ends meet, but the taxes have not been paid for so long that they were piling up to where I thought I might lose it. So last night I knelt down in prayer to find in prayer to heaven to find me some way out of the fix I was in. And here this morning, I received this check in the mail. Wow. Um, that's <laughs> cool. 
And there's a side note, the home that that home with 15 rooms is where the Douglas County Museum and Historical Society are today. Can I add something that my husband, um, what, what do you call him? Um, amateur um, um, trilogy, not trilogy, trivial, yeah, trivia guy that should be making us money on Jeopardy. Um, he said that there's an Ozark Mountain Daredevil song called E.E. E. Lawrence about this awesome. very thing. I'm sorry, E.E. E. Lawson's about this very thing. You know, really? I heard that song and I didn't know, I made no connection to that. I know huh. a Daredevil. What he said? He owned the general store in Ozark County. Huh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Very All good. right. So thank you. Yes, that um, was a special guest. <laughs> um, uh, oh, Dr. J.L. Gentry, a horse and buggy physician, received $90 in cash with a typewritten note, quote, I was sick and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. He who rebels against his government is in open sin and shame. Beware of the new deal, but still remain the same. <laughs> so that oh. was on his weird. weird. Yeah. Here's some money. Um, okay. But here's a, okay. That sentiment was puzzling on its own, but even more so since Dr. Gently, Gentry was a staunch Republican and had no intention of supporting <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal efforts. Uh, uh, huh. In total, sums of money arrive for at least nine different locals. However, there's a chance that not all beneficiaries are known. Some are being afraid of being stricken off the relief rolls if they tell. Others have chosen not that have chosen not thus to invite bill collectors, wrote the Minneapolis Star newspaper in April 1940, <laughs> which also recorded some additional public cynicism. Some people suspect that the gifts are part of a subtle plan to upset the relief rolls or to influence political views, to publicize the town for a real estate boom, or to set the scene for some colossal confidence racket, whatever that is. Hmm. Um, Dorothy Spurlock, 93, agrees that there was some skepticism. She was a longtime Douglas County resident and she remembers those days. Um, Via her son, Randy Spurlock, she says, most people were excited, but, all, but others thought that it was a scam and they shouldn't accept it. Older folks were always kind of superstitious or not trusting of outsiders. And that's kind of the way they looked at this. I, well, I understand that to some extent, but I mean, they no. didn't have telemarketers back then and everything. So how could the money be tied to something that was a scam? That, who, who knows? Well, I can understand why if they were afraid they'd be kicked off the relief rolls or if the revenuers were coming to, you know, yeah. find them out or something. I don't know. Um, there were many, many efforts, of course, to figure out exactly who the angel was. Some wrote to the banks where the checks were issued from, but no details were able to identify the donor. Eventually, the angel switched to cash from cashier's checks a move some tied to the inquiries about his or her identity. Really, all that recipients knew is that many of the letters were mailed from Kansas City, 
that the mysterious donor had been well acquainted with the people of Ava and was a loyal local newspaper reader. At one point, the angel wrote to Curry, the Herald's publisher, and asked him to find and print several people's addresses in the paper. With that request came $12, which Curry was instructed to use for payment for space in the paper. Whatever was left over was to go to the Young People's Society of a local Baptist church. However, that didn't end up happening. Curry didn't keep anything for the space, which he did not think would be fair when the angel was providing him with a good story every week. <laughs> so that's very funny. Given the donor's seemingly devout readership, Curry searched his subscriber list to try and determine the mystery donor's identity. However, neither the search or the contact gave Curry any clue of who the person was. He said, I don't have any idea who the man is. Um, this was in the Miami News in May of 1940. He might be a fellow who once sat around the general stores spinning yarns and relating the news stories from the cities. Perhaps he made a good many friends in those days and since he has hit it lucky, has more money than he needs and gets fun out of these gifts to those who were once cordial to him. Aww. At one point, yeah. locals thought the mystery donor had come to town. A mysterious stranger came to town and announced he wished to look over some real estate sites. Word got around that this was the mysterious benefactor who'd come to Ava to see how those who'd received their money were spending it. Their excitement, however, was a bit intense. Within two hours, a crowd had gathered in front of the hotel, and in fear of being mobbed, the stranger fled and was never seen again. <laughs> so it might not even have been the guy. <laughs> the last donation, it seems, came in May 1940 and was sent to Ava's mayor. According to Everyday Magazine, the donor didn't actually know the mayor. However, the donor gleaned he was a good one from reading the local newspaper and needed some encouragement, especially on his latest project, which was installing a sewer system in the town. Feeling that way about it, he wrote, whoever doeth his work well shall be re rewarded for his labor. You have done a good job as mayor of your town. I am interested in Ava. Keep up the good work and receive more rewards. P.S. Be sure to finish your sewer. <laughs> so that was the note in the envelope. <laughs> okay. Duly noted. Yeah. The two $50 bills sent to the mayor was the last known contact with the angel. According to a leader with the Douglas County Historical Society, no one ever discovered who the benevolent donor was or why he felt compelled to help local folk at any rate whatever his motive may be the angel of ava has made a kindly impression on the town in general though he stirred up some envy among those who have not received any of his benefactions printed the star perhaps he is chuckling to himself about it all and will remain a mystery until such time as he has accomplished whatever he set out to do or until his real motive is exposed. So who was it even today? No one seems to know. Perhaps part of the motive was simply a good story. And most of that came from <laughs> Ozarks Alive. So that's the Ava Angel, which I had no idea about either. No. 
I've never, never heard, heard of it either. either. Wow. Yeah. But I do, E.E. E. Lawrence, I mean, E.E. E. Lawson, I do know that Ozark Mountain Daredevil song. I just never, I mean, put it they together. Were, they, they wrote a song about a chicken train. Come on. Well, Mr. <laughs> McCormick says that this song was more about his uh, general store. In, oh, in, I see. Then yeah. the Angel of Ava. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you guys remember me mentioning the Ava post office in an earlier story? Sure. I believe it was the Blue Man. Hmm. And I, I know I've I've mentioned Ava in in one of the stories before the post office. Some somebody got a, a communication at the Ava post office. Anyway, well, Ava yeah. was a is a rural county, and it's interesting. Our grandpa and his father, yeah. I mean, Grandpa Jones and uh, my great-grandfather, our great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather were all merchants in Ava, Missouri. So yeah, that's I was going to they... mention that if you didn't. So I'm glad you did because, yeah. I mean. So, now, I mean. Where is Ava located? People, well, uh, Douglas County, which is. East, kind of, what is it? East, northeast of Forsyth? I thought it was southeast. I come through there when I come home. Maybe south. So you, you, you drive across the bottom of Missouri. Southeast of of uh, Branson, for, Forsyth? Missouri. Way yeah, east. I mean, Forsyth, yeah. Yeah, yeah way east. But that okay. means people would have known this whole thing because he was there yeah, in the 40s. I would think so. Wouldn't that be crazy mm -hmm. if it turned out to be people? Because he was not that nice. He was not. I was gonna say he was not nice enough to give money to anybody. Yeah. Well, maybe he did, and, and he <laughs> that could lead it, let him be mean in his life. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, that was very interesting, and I wish the Ava Angel would visit me. Me um, too. For real, I'll, I'd take cash. I'll take Venmo. A I'll cashier's take check. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Unexplained stories in the Ozarks. Yeah. Oh. So. All right, ladies. That was a good job. Yeah. Yay. So, Yay. Everybody, that was great. Um, I just want to remind everybody about all the things um, about Facebook and Instagram and our website, which is once again ozarkshansonhooch.weebly.com. And we just want to say goodbye. So ladies, say goodbye. Hey, goodbye. bye. And remember, if you liked it, tell all your friends. And if you didn't, keep your big mouth shut. shut.